My name is Maria Kent Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. We are so privileged to have Katie Brandt, a dear friend. She is the Director of Caregiver Support Services and PR for Massachusetts General Hospital's FTD unit. Katie was featured in our third episode titled Mike, and she told the story of her late husband. And we got into a really beautiful conversation in that episode about the love and care that was put into the decision to um, transition Mike into, would you call it a skilled nursing facility? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just in my experience and support groups and talking to people in this community, I feel like one of the biggest topics that comes up is this decision around memory care, assisted living or skilled nursing facility. So I am so thankful that you're here to talk to us and give us your expertise in this topic, Katie. And we have some listener questions that have come in that I'm going to ask you, but I think first we can just start off with just defining memory care assisted living versus skilled nursing facility. That's a good place to start, right? That's a good place to start, Maria. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be back. That's that's a good sign, right? <laughs> yeah. You get invited back. <laughs> Um, through my role in the as director of caregiver supports in the MGH FTD unit, I work with families around this issue all the time. And then, as I shared in my podcast, I um, made that decision for my late husband, who was living with FTD. And I'm also a, a current caregiver for my dad with Alzheimer's. I've um, been his caregiver for 11 years and uh, seven years at home and four years in memory care assisted living. So I, I really understand what a big decision it is for families. And I think that the first step is to understand what are the services, what are the, the resources available if you're caring for a loved one with dementia? And if your loved one is living at home, you might be using a home health care agency, an adult day health program. But if you find yourself thinking, you know what, I think I can't manage the care at home anymore and I need more help, what are the options? So right. the, first, the first option is what we would call memory care assisted living. So assisted living are, you probably have one in your community. Um, sometimes they look like hotels. Um, they're really targeted at older adults who want to live in community with others and not have to worry about shoveling the sidewalk or cutting the grass. Um, they can eat in the dining room or have meals brought to their apartment, but there's some independence in assisted living. Memory care assisted living 
is typically a secure unit um, staffed 24 hours a day, and it has programming for individuals living with cognitive impairment or dementia. It's most typically for individuals who are at the moderate stage of dementia. So they're able, if someone makes them a meal, they can eat it. They enjoy listening to a musical presentation or playing bingo. Um, They probably can still dress themselves, but maybe they need a reminder that, hey, it's June, so probably wearing a turtleneck isn't a good idea. (laughs) They can still brush their teeth, but they probably need a reminder to do that. So it's really that you do have the ability to do your activities of daily living with some prompting. Skilled nursing care or living in a skilled nursing facility or what people used to call nursing homes, people still call them that I think, are for people that are typically in the late stage of dementia or they have more medical needs. And um, depending on what state you're in, like what state in the country, I mean, uh, insurance may cover the cost of some of that care in a skilled nursing facility, Um, but insurance does not cover the cost of care in a memory care assisted living. And so if your loved ones in a skilled nursing home, they probably need help to use the bathroom all the time. They probably need help eating. They may or may not be able to walk. Um, so it's, it's really a higher level of care. I know we don't like to speak in general terms, but it sounds like a memory care assisted living really wouldn't apply to the broader population of FTD stories that I have heard. Would you agree with that? So it varies because there are different factors sometimes, right? So one of the things we know about FTD is that the typical age of onset is about 20 years earlier than the typical age of onset for Alzheimer's disease, which is 72. So if you're in your 70s, you may already have sent your kids they might've already been flown the nest, right? Right. They're out of school. You've probably paid off your mortgage. You're probably retired. So if you have a spouse, a well spouse, and you get FTD, your well spouse might be able to be your caregiver when you're at that early and moderate stage with the help of companion support, adult day health programs, because they're home. Right. But if you're age of onset, is at 45 or 50 and you have teenage kids in the house, if your wife or your husband or your partner is working full time, think about that. If you're working full time and you drive to and from work, which I know is unusual in the time of COVID, you might need at a minimum 50 hours of coverage. I had this lovely wife who was caring for her husband and she thought she'd just keep him home forever. And a huge part of their life is their Jewish faith and the traditions that they followed on the Sabbath. And because of his FTD, he was not able to follow the rituals. They were not able to welcome loved ones into their home for the Sabbath anymore. He became incredibly agitated. And Mm. she realized that by keeping him at home, she was not able to participate in her faith and in the rituals that had meaning to her. And so the decision was, 
that she found a placement for him in a Jewish um, assisted living facility. So she was able to practice her faith and, and live the traditions that were meaningful to her at home. And then she could visit him and in, in a routine, um, on a schedule, in an environment that was a lot easier for him to navigate. That's a great example. Okay, so let's jump into some listener questions. So the first question that came in was, how will you know if your loved one is getting the same level of care that you would provide? Well, I would say that in, there are going to be some things that you do for your loved one that no one could ever do hold their hand in the same way, reminisce about stories about your life, hug them the same way, that those things could be, could never be replaced. But I think that when you think about the structure of an, of a assisted living or a skilled nursing facility, they have shifts of people dedicated to all the tasks, cooking food, preparing medications, doing laundry, cleaning the bathroom, organizing activities. They have many, many people doing all those things. And those people get to go home and take breaks. You're <laughs> trying to do all the things. You're one person trying to do all the things at home. So sometimes when you give one task over to somebody else, like the laundry, or the dispensing of the medications that allows you the freedom to focus more on the paperwork, the advocacy, the loving, the connections. And you have to decide, does it matter if your loved one is accidentally wearing someone else's pajamas? Or does it matter that they're in a safe environment where they feel comfortable and then when you come to visit, all your attention is on that, that loving connection? Right. I think you touched on something. I'm going to insert my own listener question. So uh, we talked about this in your episode, but I think it's such an important piece of this conversation and that's safety. So could you talk a little bit about how safety played a role in your decision to transition Mike into skilled nursing? Absolutely. So my husband, Mike, had behavioral variant FTD, which meant that he had behaviors and his executive functioning was compromised. He also developed some obsessions around um, fire was one of the things that he was obsessed with, like lighting candles, playing with, we had like little butane torches. Um, he would leave the house at all hours of the night. Maybe he would close the door, maybe not behind him. He needed supervision 24 hours a day. So if I was going to be a supervisor 24 hours a day, when would I sleep? Right. And um, one time I, I woke up to nurse our son Noah um, at one in the morning and Mike wasn't in bed and I found him in the basement with a butane torch and I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going to fix the washing machine. And the washing machine wasn't broken. Like mm. also, you know, you wouldn't fix How's it. How's that, that going to, yeah, yeah. Just this idea of if somebody needs supervision all the time, how can you do that if you're just one person at home? Right, right. So this is a great question. 
how to find a facility willing and able to take on behavioral variant behaviors? That is a great question. So when you're looking at uh, facilities, it's good to ask questions. You want to find out, have you ever had anyone here with uh, young onset dementia? Have you ever had anyone here who has FTD? And they might say no. Um, so then you could ask them, what happens when someone is agitated on the unit? Or what happens when someone takes an item from somebody else's room? You could ask them for examples of how they handle situations. You could specifically ask them about their non-pharmacological approaches to behavior management. Uh, which would be a term that if they're not familiar with at all, might be a red flag right from the get-go. Right. <laughs> so non, a non-pharmacological approach is the idea of how are you managing the symptoms of dementia without pharmaceuticals, without drugs? Mm -hmm. And in the FTD unit, um, our clinic really believes that we need to look at the symptoms of FTD and how they can be managed medically, environmentally, and behaviorally. And so you want to look at the environment. Is it really noisy? Is there a TV blaring? Or when you walk in, is there like classical music playing on their Alexa? And mm. is everyone getting attention and engaged in an activity to help reduce anxiety or, or agitation? Um, do they talk about ways that they help people cope when they, they're anxious or stressed? Um, does the staff receive training about dementia care? Um, things like that. Those are good questions to ask. I love that. Going back to the safety for a moment, uh, another great question was, do you move them when a safety incident may happen? or wait until an incident does happen? I know these are a lot of hypotheticals and you're gonna give your, you know, your best guess and, and I know everybody's different, but what, what would you say to that? Well, if we all had a crystal ball, right? And could know, <laughs> today's the day my husband's gonna leave the house naked or what, you know, whatever happens, right? I think something that's, um, really difficult is that families think that the day that they can't meet the challenges that FTD presents is in the future. And sometimes it's, it's today. And it's just really hard to believe, to imagine that your loved one has been so overcome by this disease that they can't keep themselves safe anymore. Right. There's there are really good reasons. If you're struggling to keep your loved one safe at home, if you're worried all the time, if you're feeling these high levels of stress, like if you go down to the basement to put in a load of laundry, you're worried that your loved one might eat something and choke or might turn on the stove and walk out of the room. Like if you're worried all the time that maybe you can't even take a shower without feeling comfortable, those are the times to start thinking about what would my life be like if someone else helped care for them? Right. And so when we think about before or after an incident, after an incident, there's going to be documentation that an incident occurred. 
the police will probably have been called. Maybe there was a trip to the hospital. Maybe there was an admission to a Jerry psych unit. And sometimes that event happening can make assisted living memory cares or skilled nursing facilities feel a little more hesitant, wondering if they can meet the needs of an individual. Okay. I've seen that happen. So if you could do it ahead of time. Great point. Kind of shifting the focus to kind of the conversations once you decide that you're going to move your loved one. How do you think is the best way to approach that? I guess it all depends on where someone is in their FTD journey, but let's say someone who is still communicating, but has behavioral variant FTD, how do you approach explaining to them this transition? Well, so for everyone, it's probably going to be a little different. Um, but I would say that there are, you're going to need guides to help you. And those guides are going to be number one, your uh, physician who's caring for your loved one. You're going to want to check in with them and see what are things that they think they could do to support you. So those things might be um, talking to your loved one during an appointment, writing a letter that your loved one could read, or it may be that it's not a discussion with your loved one at all, depending on how the disease is affecting them. They might not be able to participate in a conversation like that but maybe your clinician or a member of the care team would have a conversation with the nurse or the director of the unit where your loved one is moving to, to talk to them about your loved one's condition and how they can be supportive and work together. So that would be one thing. The other would be the director of the place where your loved one's moving. They do this all the time. So they're gonna coach you about what to say. They're going to help you with that transition. That's part of their job. Okay. Um, But typically, I think that families don't usually talk to their loved ones about it a lot ahead of time. It might even be maybe the day of and just saying, you know, we're going to try this place for a while um, to help you with your brain or to help you be safe and just sort of keeping it simple. Okay. A lot of people feel very lost in the financial side of figuring this all out. Do you have any advice on the Medicaid process? Yeah. So there are elder law attorneys who specialize in helping people apply for Medicaid to help them. It's Medicaid long-term care insurance. That's what you're applying for. Um, And in every state, it's different, but that's who helps you pay for long-term care through a skilled nursing facility if you're financially eligible. And really meeting with an attorney who specializes in this before you need your loved one to go in is a good thing to do. But if you get surprised by the need, just go meet with an attorney and you can't turn the clock back Um, and they can really help you just figure out how to move forward in the best way possible. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Okay. The next set of questions are more surrounding the feelings about 
the transition. So I asked our listeners what kinds of feelings come up when they think about this. And I just wanted to address some of them just in the hope that, you know, maybe someone that's listening to this feels validated in their emotion about it. So I think a lot of people feel a lot of guilt and they, and they feel that they're neglecting their loved one by not being the one who is their full-time caregiver. But I think you just did such a beautiful job of explaining in your episode that it, it, making this decision, if it's the right one for your loved one and your family, it it's for their benefit and, and done with so much love. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you came to the decision with Mike. I think that some of the feelings that people have, feelings of failure, feelings of I'm abandoning my loved one, feelings of I'm not good enough, are based on societal expectations or cultural expectations about our roles as family members and what it means to be there for your loved one. So it is very important to acknowledge and validate that there in some families, it is never going to be okay if they're not the one providing all the care. So we recognize that if you have a value or a feeling in your heart, it's not my job to change that value or that feeling. My job is to to help you figure out how you can be the best caregiver for your loved one. And if your loved one's symptoms present so that they are not safe, maybe they might hurt themselves or others, or um, that... Or if your loved one is not able to be, be bathed all the time because it's too dangerous, because you're a petite wife and you have a big husband, which was my scenario. So whatever um, Mike wanted to do, whatever he had said in his mind, if I couldn't stop him with my words and my you know, convincing character, um, <laughs> he was just going to be able to just do it on his own. I was in a unique situation um, where our son Noah was one year old at the time. So I will say that of the all the families I've worked with, I often feel that my decision was a little bit easier because I was really faced with juggling the care of two individuals who were very vulnerable two people who really needed love and support. And it was really important that they both get the care and attention that they deserved that would preserve, protect them and preserve dignity and personhood. So living in a skilled nursing facility um, protected Mike's dignity because he needed a team of people to help him shower. And it protected his safety because there were no stoves for him to turn on, no knives for him to grab, no doors for him to walk out of. It protected his personhood because when I went in to visit, we I would read to him from Harry Potter, his favorite books. And um, he loved it when they had the barn babies animals come to visit and he could enjoy those things. I couldn't do those things for him at home because I was so overburdened 
by the challenges of care. So it really was a gift to have other people help me with the tasks that I could give away. I could give right. away the laundry. I could give away the meal prep, but I couldn't give away those walks that we got to take or the time that I spent reading to him or holding his hand. Right. Those special moments. You said it so perfectly that once you had given up those tasks, which you were still in the background doing the advocacy and, and all the financials and all a lot of other things, but then you could just be his wife. And you could spend that time and your energy soaking up those moments that you had left with Mike. And that was just, that has stuck with me. It's just so, so beautiful how you explained it. I know you also kind of did something special when he first moved in to make it homey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I really recommend this to um, families. So, of course, we talked about the, you know, the medical approach, the behavioral approach, and the environmental approach. So, working with the assisted living or the skilled nursing facility to ask, what items can I bring in for my loved one? Can I bring in a blanket? Um, one of the things that I did was I took so many pictures, um, mostly of our gorgeous son, Noah, and I had them <laughs> printed 12 by 18. And we just wallpapered the room with all of these gorgeous laminated pictures. And, you know, that helped him no matter where he was in the room, wherever his eyes would fall, you know, there his family would be. And I made a sign for Mike's room that said 10 things to know about Mike. And it was just 10 things. You know, Mike is a great husband to his wife, Katie, of eight years. Mike is a loving dad to his son, Noah, who's one year old. And then I would update the poster when we had an anniversary. Um, and I listed Mike's um, degrees that he had earned and the profession that he had. And while that information was of course gathered during the intake and um, it's in, it was in Mike's care plan. Think about the person who's putting away your loved one's laundry. They're coming into the room. They're probably not reading the care plans of the right. people, but if they walk in the room and they see 10 things to know about Mike, his beautiful son, Noah, and then they see a gorgeous picture, they could say, Mike, your son Noah is so beautiful. And I think that it allows them to they make connect. that connection. Yeah, I love that. You're so thoughtful, Katie. <laughs> Do you have any tips for oh, making- I, ha I oh. have some tips about things not to send. Oh, yes. All so, the tips. So <laughs> when you're thinking about what things to bring, like the special blanket, the pictures. I also encourage leaving some things at home. So for pictures, I encourage families to take the glass out of the picture frame. Okay. In case, what if their loved one accidentally knocked it over or dropped it, then there'd be glass in their loved one's room. Um, mm -hmm. Special photos, make sure that you have a copy at home. So if anything were to happen to the photos that you leave, you have the copy, it's fine. 
if your loved one is wearing a wedding ring, what I did for Mike was I, I took his wedding ring and I wore it on a necklace around my neck. Um, and I gave him a placeholder ring to wear okay. that okay. I didn't mind if that ring went missing. Um, and that was, and that ring did go missing. Um, and it was okay. Cause I didn't mind. Um, some people really feel strongly that their loved one, they want them to have their jewelry. Jewelry is very sentimental. Um, it's emotional. It's important. But it, just really ask yourself every single thing that you're sending with your loved one to assisted living or skilled nursing. Just ask yourself, is it okay if this got damaged or went missing? Because people with dementia sometimes take each other's items. They might misplace them. It's not done out of malice, but it might be hard to recover them. Right. Do you have any tips for communicating with the staff? I know you gave the great example of um, the 10 things about Mike, but people are expressing that in the time of COVID, it's really hard to connect. You know, requesting those FaceTime phone calls so that your loved one can see and hear you. I think that opportunities, if your loved one's allowed to receive mail, I know that at different times during COVID, sometimes mail was being quarantined. Okay. But um, like, I know my dad loves funny cards. So we've just been mailing him funny cards. He doesn't remember as soon as he's done reading the card, it's over. The moment's over. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. That's a great idea. We send cards. And then if you can have window visits, we've been having those. But, you know, I would just really encourage people to focus on quality, not quantity. Right. So if you're worried, we only talked on FaceTime for 15 minutes. We were only outside the window for 11 minutes. And then my loved one decided to wander off or needed to use the bathroom or whatever. One of the things that we know about individuals who have cognitive impairment is that their feelings can stay intact for a long time. And those, all those big feelings, love, joy, happiness, they're generated by the amygdala, which is buried deep in the limbic system of the brain. And that part of the brain is often protected for a long time from the ravages of these terrible diseases like FTD and Alzheimer's. So when you visit at the window for 11 minutes and you focus that visit on smiling, I love you, look at how beautiful you are today, I'm so happy to see you, that lights up the amygdala. Mm. And so your loved one's gonna wander away from that window visit or that outdoor visit filled with those love and joy feelings. And they're not going to remember why they're filled with the love and joy feelings very Mm -hmm. likely, but those feelings will stick with them. Um, So really knowing that even if your loved one's memory is challenged, the impact that you can have on their emotions and on their heart is real and available to you, even if their cognition is challenged. That's so beautiful, Katie. Thank you for sharing that. Kind of goes back to to our motto of our podcast, which is like to accept the good. So even if you're only getting 
during these COVID times, that short visit or the window visit, you know, what's bringing them joy. Just try and hold that and try, try and try and focus on that as hard as it is. Um, just focus on that. Good. We covered so much. Do you have tips on how to find a skilled nursing facility? Yeah. So it can be really challenging. You think, I don't even know where to begin. Um, So it's great to ask if you have a friend or a family member who you know had a loved one living in a nearby facility, you could ask them about their experience. You could ask your loved one's primary care physician or neurologist if they have a place they recommend. But another thing that you can do is the Alzheimer's Association. Do you know that they support families living with all types of dementias? And that includes FTD. And I've learned that from a recent episode. I did not know that, but they provide a lot of support for um, someone that we interviewed a few weeks back. So that's great to know. All of their services are free and they have a 24-7 hotline. If you go to alz.org, you'll see the 1-800 hotline number right in the upper right-hand corner of the website. And you can call that number and say, I am looking for a skilled nursing facility or a memory care for my loved one. This is my zip code and I wanna know all the licensed facilities in a 10 mile radius or a 20 mile radius, whatever. And they can send you a list. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to start. And as you kind of go through an interview, I know you mentioned, you know, ask, do you have any patients or experience with patients with a cognitive impairment or try and understand if they know what FTD is? Are there any other, you know, buzzwords or really important questions that you think you can kind of like weed out some facilities by asking I think it's really good to just look around. How how does it smell when you walk in the building? Um, how do people look? Do they look calm and relaxed? Um, are Is everyone wearing pajamas or are people dressed for the day? Even if dressed for the day means they're wearing a matching jogging suit, you know, mm-hmm. um, are, are people doing activities together? Again, as much as COVID safely allows. And um, you one thing that I find you can ask is about the staff turnover rate. Okay. So in a facility, think about that, right? This is hard work. This is work that not only takes skill, but it takes compassion. And so if the facility says, you know, we've had 12 staff turnover in the last six months, that might be a red flag. But if you say if they say to you, well, our nurse manager, um, four of our CNAs and our director have all been here for nine years or more. Like those are things that are going to give you this sense of, oh, these people are a team, right? They know how to work together. Right. How can you get a facility to be ready for a patient with FTD or learn um, more about FTD and the complexities of it? There is an awesome free program through the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, AFTD, called Partners in FTD Care. So any facility can sign up for this program and it will connect them with an awesome network 
of staff and clinicians who are caring for people all over North America. Um, it offers quarterly e-newsletter written by medical professionals for medical professionals with case studies about FTD. It offers information, tips and tricks and um, educational seminars. So I think that if you're considering moving your loved one in a facility and you say to them, would you be willing to sign up for this FTD Partners in Care program and share some of the educational materials with the staff? And if they say, oh, no, I don't think that we would do that. That is a big red flag. Right. You want your loved one to move into a facility where they would say, yeah, we absolutely want to learn about this disease. Thank you so much for pointing us towards this resource. That's awesome. You're the best, Katie. I feel like we gave a lot of good information. <laughs> we gave a lot. You know, I think just the last thing I want people to know is if you make the decision to move your loved one into memory care assisted living or a skilled nursing facility and it doesn't work out, you can change your mind. And sometimes people need the care of a community at a certain stage of their loved one's illness. Mm-hmm. But then maybe at a different stage, they're able to be at home again. So just really knowing that if you are struggling, if your loved one's not safe, if you are super stressed, if you both need more support, making that decision means you're making that decision for right now. And at the next care plan meeting, you're going to make the decision again. Is this still the right, the right fit? And the next care plan meeting. So really just acknowledging that you can't predict the future. Right. But if you need that help, then it can be a really wonderful gift. We're so hard on ourselves as caregivers, aren't we, Katie? Yeah, Maria, this is really, it's, it's like a really hard thing. And I think that people, they want to feel like they're pushed against the wall before they will. Before they do it. Before they yeah. do it. There's, there's good reason to consider doing it earlier when you think of your loved one's transition, because when your cognition is a little more intact, you're better able to cope with adjusting to a new environment and many new faces. Right. Right. This has been so wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate your expertise. You are a friend of the podcast. I hope to bring you on for more topics in the future because you're an incredible resource. Thank you again. I hope that this provides, you know, some guidance and support that I know our caregivers who listen are um, they're looking for. So I appreciate it. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I love working with you and Rachel and I'm so appreciative. So thank you for bringing this out to the community. Special thank you to Katie for sharing her expertise with us this week. If there are other topics you'd like covered in our expert chats, you can make a suggestion on our website at remembermeftd.com. If you want to connect with us, you can also follow us on Instagram at remembermepodcast. If you're interested in donating to a fund that Rachel has set up to plant a tree in her father's honor, 
you can do so on our website, rememberMeFTD.com slash blog slash the last goodbye. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is by Billy Kent. Oh, the good things, man, my.